Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written published article, Who Is at the Helm? 
from 1965. It's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage Show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar and you get a better buzz. <laughs> with the Savage Premium. So go to go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Michael Savage Podcast. Today we take a divergence away from politics per se, but as you will soon see, everything is political. The history of the underworld, of the mob, and the history of Jews in America happened to be intertwined. It's no secret. And it's a history that Myron Sugarman, who is the author of The Last Jewish Gangster, from Meyer Lansky to Myron Sugarman, traces from the early days of the mafia to the present day. We're not trying to glorify crime. We're trying to put crime in context. And Sugarman tells the story from a point of view of a Jew who is religious. Now, this may provoke some questions in the minds of my listeners. Am I glorifying violence? Am I glorifying criminality? Why are people fascinated by crime stories? Well, I'll let you decide. For me, the interest in gangsters or villains in movies and interviews is that it's a, f a place where you can go and have a vicarious involvement with such things without having to face the consequences. Because crime, violence, death, where they are portrayed in art, is a safe place in the world of film or of radio or of podcasts. You see, gangster stories give us the ability to fantasize about a dangerous life without any real consequence. It's a sort of violence pornography in a way. I admit that. But there's another element to why America is fascinated with crime. In fact, most societies are. It's because we're living in a time where family ties and a sense of community are weak, if non-existent. Gangster films, gangster stories, present to us a world where people work together, believe it or not. Where people kind of take care of each other, no matter what, at least in the old days they said they did. And the sense of justice that we no longer have in this country, as we saw in the films The Godfather, seems to be a fantasy today. We live in a society where there are so many laws, rules, and social norms that restrict our behavior and create obstacles between us and the real world. And so we turn to the vicarious world and look at those who embrace our primal instincts of aggression, violence, ego defense, and vengeance. In this story, The Last Jewish Gangster, a podcast with Myron Sugarman, you will hear how his son became a rabbi how the Jewish mob fought the American Nazi Party in the 1930s, how they worked with the U.S. government to provide secret vigilance on the piers of New York during World War II, and uh, how they secured arms for the early days of Israel in violation of the Neutrality Act. All of this and more in today's podcast, The Last Jewish Gangster, which I hope you will enjoy on the Michael Savage Podcast. Thanks for listening.
Nice to see you. You made it to right. 84. Despite all the service you've been through, you lived to 84? Um, it's the tourists that, that, uh, that kept me alive. <laughs> I think it was Che Guevara that said the only life worth living is the life of stress. Wow. Why is that? Why do you, what do you mean? A stressless life is boring and you die young? I don't know. I go down to, I go down to uh, Florida. My kid lives in Florida. Uh, he, I go to visit all the old timers that I grew up with. All right. Wow. Who? And wait, brain your, dead. your son is, your son is a rabbi, correct? Son is a rabbi who teaches Talmud. He's a, a real Talmud uh, scholar. Uh, he's, he's got eight kids. He, wow. He's in Boca. He's in Boca. Yeah. Isn't that something? He's and in you know, Bert Myron, this leads me to the first question. You grew up in the toughest Jewish gang, the son of a guy, Bernie Shuggy, Suggy Sugarman, partner of Abe Green, leaders of the Jewish mob. And yet you revere the the rabbi, the rabbinate, and you wanted to produce a child who was a good man. How does that work? So. Um, being an outlaw doesn't necessarily mean being a bad man. Ah. It means it means just operating outside the laws of humans. All right. And human laws change every 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 now and then. For example, um, for the crimes that I went to jail for, you, you, you can sit in your living room today and go broke playing my slot machines. All right. Okay. But I went to jail for that, but it's today legitimate and they promote it and they drive, you know, they make people, uh, at least people that came to play my slot machines had to get up, leave the house, leave the apartment, go to the local bodega and go to the back room and play the slot machines. All right. Mm -hmm. Today they can sit in their living room. They can go broke so easily mm. uh, with the help of the government. And the, and the television and the advertising. Hmm. Well, no, that, that, that's 100 percent true. Take a look at what's going on in Congress today. To me, and I'm not the only one there. Some of them are amongst the biggest gangsters in American history. I, when people ask me, I was on that uh, valuetainment that Patrick Bet David, he says to me, who's the biggest mob? I said, the government. Yeah. Well, let's throw out some names. There's a big scandal brewing now about Pelosi and insider trading. It'll go nowhere. We know that because the Republicans are just as guilty as her. That's why right. they don't want they don't want to pursue it. Right. OK, so there's a there's a rig there's a rig game right there. <laughs> That's why I tell you the government is the biggest mob in history. <laughs> God. So how long were you in the can? No, nah, just a short while. They told me uh, one of the black kids when I walked in, he says to me, uh, how long do you get sugar, daddy? I says, I got I got 19 months. He says, don't even bother taking off your shoes, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it, it, it was a, it was a short stay. Uh, got myself into terrific shape, studied, read a million books, played paddle ball, racquetball, uh, walked the track, played, hit the heavy bag. I got in wonderful shape. But were you protected? Were you, Myron, were yeah. you protected? Because did you have an aura of protection because of your uh, background and your connections? I mean, an ordinary guy 
your age going in wouldn't have such a wonderful time, would he? I had the best time of my life. You did. I had the best time of my life. Uh, good guys. Uh, plenty of kibitzing. Plenty of uh, joking. Uh, That's amazing. A lot of camaraderie. A lot of camaraderie. It's, Isn't that it's a nut house. And, and anybody goes to jail. If you don't go with a, a sense of humor, you're in trouble. Yes, but an ordinary guy goes in. He's not going to have a good time. Uh, it was a camp. And if a, if a legitimate guy gets nailed, gets jammed up, he goes to jail. Uh, it's different than when a guy that's been in the street all of his life. Huh. Guys in the street, uh, it's a completely different mentality. Okay. You do your, you do your time with, uh, with, with a sense of humor. It's part of your life, in other words. You know you're going to go in one day, and you're expecting. And you have good, and you and you're immediately taken in by good guys. I see. Now here's the so interesting. So, for example, so for example, if you, the key in going to jail, if you were a rat in your case, because that's the only thing that separates, make defines and distinguishes you as to opposed to others mm. is the fact that you didn't cooperate in your case all right if you're not a rat you 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 hang with the guys that uh, stood up the rats you don't talk to them they have their own world and they by the way the 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 jails are filled up with rats mm. because if you don't have a the um, everybody that um, gets prosecuted uh, if they're facing serious time uh, it's very tempting. Mm -hmm. No, I understand. Now, the interesting thing to me is your they revere you in Orthodox Jewish circles. And that's the part that I have some difficulty in understanding. What is the fascination amongst Orthodox Jews with criminality? I say it's Not a loaded criminality. Not with criminality, uh, uh, Michael. Um, no. It's not with criminality that they 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 like a, a strong because the other side of my personality or the other side of my character is, yes, I was a lawbreaker, but I was a strong. Proud Jew. So in other words, you're a tough guy. And th what I'm thinking about is this. The Jews were oppressed for thousands of years and the only ones who protected them in the ghettos were the tough guys, in other words, that kept them somewhat safe. OK, so the, 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 there's no better example than the 1930s of North New Jersey. The the, the Minutemen, uh, you had uh, the, the Longies Wellman. I don't know if you know that name. Abner Longies Wellman was on an equal level with Meyer Lansky as far as Jewish leadership was concerned, the leadership of the within the Jewish mob. And Longy, together with uh, Abramowitz, not Arno, a prize fighter, they created what was known as the Minutemen mm -hmm. that took on the, the Nazi, the American Nazi Party in the 30s. We need to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more. Stay tuned to the Savage Nation podcast. Michael Savage, a host like no other. We are back. 
you know, I've seen no. footage and I was shocked as a young boy. I used to see my father had an antique store in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, which I've talked about for years on the radio. It's long gone. It was next to Nyberg's funeral parlor, which was interesting. So I grew up in an antiques market and a funeral parlor and next to Katz's Deli down the street, Ludlow Street, if you know the neighborhood. Yeah, but, I know that. I know the neighborhood. Perfect. You, you know the neighborhood well. So the fact is that you look at that and you look at the menu of the poor guy who really didn't have the either the guts or the brains or the luck to rise up from the small, you know, merchant class. And then you look at people like Madoff, Epstein, Weinstein, who are basically, if you want to use a Jewish phrase, a Shonda to the Jewish people. How do you feel about a guy like Epstein, Weinstein or Madoff? Um, like everybody should feel about them, mm. uh, but maybe a little bit stronger because I'm a proud Jew and anybody that louses up our reputation makes yeah. it hard for us. All right? but, but Madoff uh, was a con man. Madoff was, a, in a way, just a glorified con man, like a card player who outshocked everybody, right? Um, Madoff, Madoff probably became a victim of his own ego. Interesting. Uh, he couldn't. In other words, he, he business went bad. And instead of saying to people, I screwed up, he perpetuated this fraud. Got it. I, and that's the way I saw it. That's the way I saw the Madoff story. So let's go back to the Minutemen who fought. The and, Nazis. Then, and then and then he appealed to the to the wealthy Jews. Yeah. Who um, he played them perfectly. Yeah. Oh, I, I saw the whole story. I watched it very carefully. Uh, I, I was never brushed by Madoff, but I was brushed by people who uh, were very close to him. Luckily, they never sucked me into that that web. But with the Minutemen were who? Who were they? They actually physically. I remember I was starting to say the antique store. So there were old magazines in there. I remember finding as a kid, I'd rifle through old magazines, pictures of the Nazis meeting in Madison Square Garden. I was shocked to read that 20,000 American Nazis had a rally in Madison Square Garden with Hitler on one picture and George Washington on the other. And then there was this video of Jewish guys running up on the stage and punching them out. So so, so that's a little bit uh, exaggerated. Um, in, the, in the 1930s, North New Jersey was was a battleground between the Jews and the, and the American Nazi uh, oh. movement. It started in Newark because we had a large German community. Ah. We had a large Jewish community. Mm -hmm. uh, the boss of Jersey was Abner Longies Wilman. Uh, he was the undisputed boss of Jersey, even over the Italians. All right. And um, <laughs> together with Nat Arnold, they formed what was called the Minutemen in honor of the Minutemen from the Revolutionary War that in a minute's notice they would be prepared to go fight the American Bund. Um, and so every time that they would meet in the beer gardens and they would uh, rally and so forth, uh, there was um, this loose confederation of guys, prize fighters, ex-prize fighters, gangsters, factory workers, uh, uh, Jews. And a phone call would be made to a club or a series of clubs and they would be told, uh, you're going up to Lyons Avenue. You're going up to Springfield Avenue tonight, 7 mm. o'clock. And so our guys would go in and um, 
do an effective job of kicking the shit out of these bastards. <laughs> now, not only not only did this take place in Jersey, but Meyer Lansky was asked by Judge Perlman to do the same thing in Yorkville, mm. which was a German enclave. All right. Where 80, 86th Street. I used to have a good German food up there. Right. Right. Exactly. The German food, Hungarian food. We used to go to the gypsy restaurants up there. Oh, I love so, it. I loved it. As a so. Kid. So the, um, the, the Lansky, Meyer Lansky, patriotic Jew, patriotic American, 100 percent terrific guy. That's what appeals to the Orthodox community, because the Orthodox community is the uh, uh, look at the, they're the they're the I don't want to say they are the the proudest Jews, but they're the ones that are assuring Jewish posterity. They, they hold the whole tradition together. Without them, there'd be no Judaism left. They're the last thread that holds the whole tapestry together. I and, believe, and, Myron, I, I've known Chabadniks for over 40 years, off and on right. and on and on. And there's good and there's the bad and there's the ugly. There's the smart and there's the dumb. They're like everyone else. However, their fanatical belief in the traditions of the religion are, are the thread that keeps the whole tapestry together, in my analysis. Yes. Yeah, but it's not just limited to the Chabad. My, my son is not Chabad. My son is modern Orthodox. Oh. Even modern Orthodox, he's Yeshiva University level. Hmm. He, uh, he and his kids, he raised a family. Uh, I mean, it's, they're serious. It's, and it's not just my son. It's within the entire Orthodox world today. They're the ones that are guaranteeing posterity. That's true. There'd be, the religion would disappear without them in plain English. Right. You need to build a religion on more than bagels and locks on Saturday morning. So so if, if a Jew, if, so the reason why uh, the Orthodox have a special affection for a guy like Myron Sugarman is because I carry forward the tradition of the of telling the story of Meyer Lansky, telling the story of Benny Siegel, uh. telling the story of uh, Longies Wilman, Doc Stature, uh, all Mickey Cohn, all those old timers that were extremely proud Jews by incidentally, Jack Ruby. <laughs> when I tell people that this guy fought, he fought the anti-Semites in Chicago, he's a Jewish patriot. Jack Ruby, did you know him? No, I knew I didn't know him, but I used to go to, um, to Dallas, Texas and, uh, Used to, my father had a very good friend in Dallas, uh, who was the um, he was more or less the, the Jewish power in, in Dallas. Hmm. And uh, he was the one that used to tell me all about Jack Ruby. We'll be right back after this quick break. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. So let's get back to your story, because it's about your story, Myron Sugarman, who uh you're calling yourself the last man standing, in essence, the last Jewish gangster from Meyer to Myron, the Chronicles of the Last Jewish Gangster. And you're demystifying the idea of what a gangster is to begin with. So not all gangsters are killers. Is that true? So, right. So, for example, uh, no, the, the <laughs> killing, the killing is left to the killers. You, you got guys that that's their specific job. 
they um, they do the hits. You got um, the others, uh, a lot of them that are just outlaws and are the business people. Outlaws is an interesting phrase because I like to watch a lot of movies about criminality, gangsters. I like particularly the Mexican cartel shows on Netflix. Some of them are very realistic to the outsider, but they call themselves outlaws, strangely enough, is what. So Okay, so um, I would when people ask me, are you a gangster? Well, of course, you belong. You're ultimately going to ask you're going to answer to the mob, because once you cross that line and you're going to into the illegal activity, Mm. there's a new government there. Ah. Somebody's going to say to you, Mr. Sugarman, you know, uh, your father was with us. All right. Yeah. You're, you're part of this by inheritance and you've stepped into the, our world. So you Therefore, answer to you answer to them and follow their rules. In other words, that's right. It's you're, you're as in Rome, do as the Romans. You know, it's interesting. There was a movie years ago with Al Pacino and the Sean Penn character where Sean Penn's this corrupt lawyer and they go to a club and Sean Penn's high on coke and he pulls out a gun to try to intimidate some Italians who are coming on to his girlfriend. And he says to him, are you out of your mind? The Pacino character says, you a gangster now, he says. He says to the lawyer, you a gangster now, meaning he stepped over that line. He's no longer following the rules of being even a tough lawyer. He's now becoming a gangster by waving a gun around. You a gangster now, he says. So how well, do you. It's, it's, it's uh, Michael, one other second. Uh, there's a friend of mine, uh, very, very astute. Um, He's second generation like myself. His father was part of the world. His uncle was part of the world. He was part of the world. Somebody said to him, gangster, he says, listen, you can become a gangster in a second. He said, how can that let somebody try to rape your sister? All right. Where where are you going to go? Where are you going to go to seek justice? No. Well, that's like the movie The Godfather. There is no justice. Take a look at this world we're living in today. Okay, so. So you, once you 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 go to the people yeah. and say, listen, I want this son of a bitch to break his legs. All right. Uh, teach him a lesson. Now, now you've already you've already or you didn't go to the police. Mm. You didn't go to the prosecutor. You didn't. Do, you wanted instant justice. Yeah. And right. And rightfully so. Interesting. So now let's move on to something bigger with you partnering with Seaman Weisenthal, the Nazi hunter. How did that come about? So, again, it goes to the core of my personality, the core of my character and principles and everything that I believe in. When the the very famous picture of the young kid coming, a little boy coming out of the Warsaw ghetto, his hands surrendering to a Nazi, uh, to a German soldier. It's a very famous, iconic picture uh, from the Warsaw Ghetto. And I said to myself one day, as even as a kid, that kid could have been me. I could have been the kid, only circumstances of birth. Yes. All right. I'm going to make I'm going to I'm going to do whatever I can in my life. Nineteen mm-hmm. five or sixty six. I was in Vienna, Austria, first time doing business. And I went to visit with Simon Wiesenthal. I just simply said, I want to meet this man. Ah. And that's how the relationship started. I knocked on his door, his office door. Secretary came, opened the door. How can I help you? I said, I want to meet Simon Wiesenthal. I said, I want to to meet this man. And sure enough, 
we became extremely, extremely close, extremely close. Mm. Um, and every time I would travel the world, particularly in South America, he would give me assignments, who to call, who to go see, mm. who to inquire with regards to particularly Mangala and Paraguay. We'll be right back. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Byron, you know, you're an you're an interesting guy. You have a BS degree from Bucknell in language arts and poli sci. It says you speak Portuguese, German, Yiddish, Ladino, French, and Hebrew and Spanish. Is that true? Yeah. How did you learn all these languages? I love people. Uh-huh. If you love people and if you're curious and you want to communicate, you, you find out how to communicate. You know, uh, it just all you need in order to make a friend. All right. If you meet a, somebody from, I don't know, let's say from Greece, and you know how to say a few words in Greek. Oh, my God, you broke the ice. All right. Now, if you can say more words in Greek, you, you they, the ice melts that much faster. It's true. You, you, there is an, an immediate connection between yes. you and you and no, the individual. I've seen, I've seen that if I speak in Spanish, even a few words to a Spanish speaking right. gardener or a maid who is illiterate in English, their face lights they up. Light up. They like they light knowing up. that they like know that you respect their own language and culture, of it, course. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so but like, your language arts, this is interesting. In, in knowing Spanish helped you. He, did you help locate Mengele for, for why? So we were able not to because of Spanish or anything, just it happened to turn out that Mengele was something the Wiesenthal um, sent me to see a certain Jew in, in Asuncion, Paraguay, who had, from one Jew to the next, people were reluctant to discuss it with me because. Paraguay was a dictatorship, Alfredo Stroessner. Mm. Stroessner was the grandson, 37 years dictator of Paraguay, grandson of Germans. Yes. And he was a a protector of the Nazis in Paraguay. Right. So uh, people that were were very reluctant told me, listen, you're a nice young man. I understand Wiesenthal sent you. They called him Rabbi Akiba. I understand Rabbi Akiba sent you, but do us a favor. <laughs> Don't get involved. And then eventually, just by circumstances, I met the woman that had, had, uh, had a confrontation, a survivor, a Holocaust survivor, on an airplane. Mm. And she's the one that told me about Mangala. Uh, but Mangala was never actually captured. He died off the coast of uh, Brazil in a swimming accident, hmm. supposedly. Hmm. But I, my relationship was with Wiesenthal was um, my way of being a Minuteman because I couldn't be a Minuteman. I was born in 1938. I wanted to do what my father and his friends did. So you did it by helping locate, yeah. locate yeah. Mangala through, through yeah. your own and, and and I came to the conclusion that we a, a Jewish pride by itself is one generation, Michael. It will not last more than one generation. You can be a proudest Jew on the face of the earth. If you didn't teach your kids Judaism, it means that it'll die with the kids. Mm-hmm, of course. Well, that brings us to Israel. Israel has a complex relationship with itself and with the world. 
Uh, do you have any relationship with Israel per se as a nation? Well, I certainly went to Israel many, many times. And um, I have uh, a, a, a firm support. Listen, yes, I started out in life studying Jabotinsky. Oh, I, I am a strong right of center Jabotinsky revision design supporter. I like it. Uh, that's Jabotinsky, Menachem Begin, Yitzhak Shamir, Yair Stern. They were they were Men's, Iron Men. They were really Iron Men. They're from another Ben-Zion, world. Ben Netanyahu, the father of Bibi. He was the secretary to Jabotinsky in the United States. Oh my States. God, I didn't know that. He was a the the Bibi and his brothers came from a very strong right of center Jabotinsky revisionist Zionist. Oh. Well, but look where Israel is today. It's moved to the left, hasn't it? Because they um, they they accepted the uh, the Arabs. Actually, the Arab party is the, the um, for the coalition making, for yeah, a the coalition. Co- they did. They did a deal yeah. with the devil. So now yeah. they move to the left. Correct. I'm Michael Savage. Back in a minute. Home of borders, language, culture, the Savage Nation. We are back. I, I don't want to drag you into American politics. And if you feel uncomfortable talking about it for your I'm own reason. Not unco- I'm not uncomfortable at all. I'm a major Trump supporter. Okay. And the reason- well, I didn't want to make it that personal. You know, I, well, I, I am. I am. I, and I'll explain to you why I am a Trump well, supporter. But, but, Myron, before we go on, I want to say this. I was on Air Force One with Donald Trump, which people say, are you kidding? I had a kosher hot dog with him off his own plate. I call it the hot dog summit. And, and I got to tell you the story. Maybe you never heard of it. So I, I was invited on Air Force One. I didn't think I'd meet the great man himself, but I was given a tour of the plane. The next thing I know, they bring me into the flying Oval Office and he's sitting there behind the desk. He didn't like me a little bit at that time because I could be a little critical of some of his policies. I'm not an ass kisser. And he knew that it's one of the reasons he actually liked me. He has a lot of ass kissers, but he needs someone to say something. So he goes like this. Byron, can you see me at all? Yeah, sure. Sure. So he's sitting in his chair like this and he, they bring me and he goes like this. He doesn't even look at me. He points to the little chair next to his chair like I'm a student. He just points and he says to them, what's he doing here? Now, another guy would have shrunk. I took it as a joke and I started to smile. So I said, look, you got me all wrong. I said, you need the middle people, too. You don't just need the tachas lechas. You need someone who's going to talk to them. He said, I don't need them at all. I said, yes, you do. You just don't want to say it. So oh, one word less than the other. She sees I'm starving. I hadn't eaten all day. He has his valet bring in two hot dogs and I was starving. I didn't say a word. I see the hot dogs and my eyes must have dotted. Now, here's the president of the United States. He looks at me and he says, you want one? Imagine that. It, you know, you can tell a lot about a man by the small things, Myron. Isn't that true? It's the devil's in the details. So wait, he says to me, you want one? I said, sure, I'm starving to death. She goes like this with the plate. Has the valet give me a plate? Then he says to me, you want mustard? or ketchup off his plate. Now, this is the president of the United States who three minutes before was basically dissing me and saying, what's he doing here? Because I know he didn't mean it. I know that's his way. It's his way of saying what he feels and then seeing what you're going to do about it. But I found the guy to be extremely real and extremely what people saw him to be. He is what he is. And he did save America for quite a while, which brings us to where we are today with this Mr. Biden in the White House. What do you think about that? 
So I think that they should close down every university and college in America hmm. because when people get an education, they get stupid. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's becoming a brainwash. It's the brainwashing institutions have no ends, no ends, no ifs, no buts. They remove the the right of people to think for themselves. Listen, Trump, Trump. So people, first thing, as far as myself is concerned, um, I'm not, I, we started the, the, the afternoon by talking about my son, the rabbi, right? You mean I you also I? have a son. Yes, huh? yes, yes. And I also have a son that was in the United States military. Hmm. All right. So he joined. He joined a volunteer U.S. Army. My hmm. son really wanted to, um, to be in combat. Hmm. Anyways, the point is I have one son rabbi, one son military. That yeah. shows that I one son representing my Jewish pride, the other son representing my American pride. Got it. Trump Trump was great for both the United States and particularly he was fantastic for Israel. Here's the here's my issue. Israel, the state of Israel, the strength of Israel is our protection for every Jew on the face of this earth, whether you live in the homeland or you live in the Galut, if you live in the diaspora. And as long as Israel is strong, every Jew is safe. Mm. Nobody's going to put us. Nobody's going to put us on a, a, a on a train on the freight cars and send us anymore to the to the camps. Donald Trump. Donald Trump was the greatest hero and friend to the Jewish people since the time of Julius Caesar who was fantastic to the Jews in his time. Donald well, Myron, Trump. I, look, I got to say this. When, when I heard people attacking him as an anti-Semite, I said, this is the epitome of insanity. Here is a man whose son-in-law, Jared, who I knew very well at the time. Who I know as well. Wonderful man. Very one. And by the way, you know, when I was in the White House, first in Jared's office, there's a picture of two older people sitting in the like in the woods in Poland. And I said, who are those people, Jared? That's his grandmother. Thank you. They were fought in the underground against the Nazis. We were in the same. We were in the same Orthodox school for 20 years. Together. Unbelievable. People don't know this. So when I hear people putting down Trump as anti-Semitic, I said, this is the epitome of insanity. He has Jewish grandchildren. He did more for Israel than any president, any 10 presidents in history or five. And I said, they're smearing him like this. Is there no bottom to what the Democrats will go to? And the answer is no. I have never seen anything like this. Never. So you use the right word. Insanity, lunacy, it just it's incomprehensible. Well, I wrote a book years ago in 2005 called Liberalism is a Mental Disorder. And I didn't mean that all liberals are insane. I said the religion of liberalism is a mental disorder. It's a religion. OK, so let's let's go back to the discussion you and I were talking about as far as who's going to be the next generation of Jews in, in the world. All right. Yes. So the only ones that are the ones that are practicing the right ism, meaning Judaism, the others are practicing a religion called liberalism. <laughs> all right. And liberalism is a their kids, the kids of that world, uh, this, uh, the children of the of the of the families that are practicing liberalism. Their kids will not be Jewish. Their grandchildren will certainly not be Jewish. No. 
So it's a, the question really becomes boils down to how important is it to be for Jews to remain as Jews? It's a big question. You said we've been given this perfect diamond passed on for over 3000 years. Right. We, we've survived the ashes of the Shoah to this place of pride and honor. And what you're saying now is I think you're saying you're worried that this religion will die out altogether in time. No, 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 never. On the contrary, huh. it's the, the, the orthodoxy today is as a revival, which is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Look at um, the uh, I'm going to the Rebbe's uh, grave tonight. Wait, wait, wait. In, in Queens, in that in that yeah. cemetery? Cambria Heights. Yeah, you I'm know, going. You know, my grandfather, Samuel, is buried there. People don't in the Montefiore. And when the Chabad rabbis go to the Rebbe's grave, they always go and put a stone on, on Samuel's grave. I call Samuel the astronaut of my family. He came here with nothing from Russia, died very young of a heart attack, Taylor shop on Lower East Side. He made suits for the gangsters, I think. Who knows? Who, who had a suit made in those days but anybody with money? So died young, and um, he's buried there. I never met him. Died before I was born. He's buried there. So throw a stone over there, would you? I sure will. I'm going tonight because it's the anniversary huh. of the it's it's the it's a, a very historical date in the Jewish in the Chabad calendar. It's called Yud Shvat. Huh. And and there will be I'm, we're going tonight. We're leaving New Jersey at nine o'clock. Who's going? Uh, who's going? You and your wife, my rabbi and a, and a bunch of guys. You're a lucky and, guy. You know why you're lucky? You have family and friends, <clears throat> a whole community. You don't live alone like a like a lone wolf. No, no. God, Try living I, in Northern California where I do for a week. See if you could survive it. It's easier. Probably living in a in, in, it's not. I don't want to tempt fate, but you have a, a community. And without a community, a man is it's very hard to survive. Oh, it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. So tonight when I go to the to the old hell, to the to the Rebbe's grave. Yeah, there's going to be. I would say. Thousands and thousands mm. and thousands of people coming starting tonight because the, the calendar starts tonight. We need to take a quick break. We'll be right back on the Savage Nation podcast. Michael Savage, a host like no other. You know, Myron, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about so many things at once about you, your place in society, how you could be misinterpreted. Say, like people say, well, who the hell cares about a gangster? Why are you interviewing a gangster? Why are you glorifying a gangster? I'm going to hear all of that. I get it. I've heard it all before, but they have to draw their own conclusions. But my audience is largely a Christian audience, probably 99% Christian audience, a good percentage of them. Thank, are, God. A thank, good per- thank, God. thank God. Keep the liberals off. the. Okay. Oh, no, no, they don't like me at all. But of those of that audience, a large percentage of them are what you might call fundamentalist, born again Christians, those who actually believe in the Bible. Evangelicals. Evangelical. Okay. okay. And I understand those people very well. They understand me. So people say, well, why do you talk about Jews and the Jewish people? I said, here's why. Judaism is the founding religion of Christianity and of Islam. We are the first monotheistic religion. Moses was the first to receive the commandments from the one true God. And I said, unless you understand that, you can't understand the importance of where the Jews fit in the scheme of human history. So to me, that is why I think this topic that you and I are discussing today, although it's not directly related, 
to that particular point is extremely important because in strange way, you know, you and I come from two different worlds, but not really two different worlds. You and I speak the same language, for example. I don't I don't see us coming from for, I think we're coming from exactly this almost the same womb. I do also think so. And then when you said the so first let, thing, you let, said, let, first thing you said to me was we're related. Right. But, Michael, the, the, the Christian conservative movement, thank God for them. All right. Thank God for them. Yeah, they are terrific. They are. You see, uh, the, the liberal Jew comes to me and says to me, why you why do you love the Christian conservative? They want to convert us. Uh, I tell them, I tell them, I tell them, schmuck, yeah. you're already converted. <laughs> you're already converted. All right. They don't have to do anything to convert you because they, if any kind of conversion, they got to make you believe in God. These people are fantastic. Great supporters of the state of Israel. They had more influence in terms of Trump than we did. We're speaking with Myron Sugarman, S-U-G-E-R-M-A-N, The Chronicles of the Last Jewish Gangster. And I'll tell you more about the book in a minute and about the movie. And it's a fascinating story. As you can see, it's I'm talking to the audience now. It, it moves into so many different areas, politics, family, lineage, history religion, faith, uh, whatever you want to talk about, it all relates to it. But without Judaism, there would be no Christianity. Without Judaism, there'd be no Islam. And the, the advanced Christians understand that. Unfortunately, there's a strain of anti-Semitism that runs through the Christian world, just as there's a strain of anti-Christianism that runs through the Jewish world, which disturbs me greatly. And I don't like it when I hear them put down Christians, some Jewish people. Uh, at all. You know, when I hear this stuff, it's a Larry David kind of thing that they're out to convert you. These guys like Woody Allen and Larry David, in my estimation, Myron, I like your opinion, have done more to damage the image of the Jew. Woody Allen, Larry David, that type have done more to damage the image of the Jewish people than any anti-Semite. So, so Michael, the, the, the basic the problem is not Woody Allen and the problem is not Larry David. The problem is the Jews themselves. If a Jew mm. does not have knowledge, the very basic knowledge that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, the, 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 uh, the, the five books of Moses, the, the, the commandments, and the 613 mitzvot and so forth. If you don't really know your own religion, so you're, you, you, you're ashamed and you don't face up to the fact that you're ashamed so what you do is you turn against yourself. Wow. You become you become your your self-hating because you you feel inadequate. No if a if a Christian comes up to me and says to me, I want to convert you, I'll hug him. I'll take him for lunch. I'll buy him a pastrami sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of the day, he's gonna say, I love you. All right, you know what. I, you're God fearing. All right. But if he goes to somebody that doesn't know even the basic, the basic question that Moses gave to his Torah on Sinai and so forth and so forth. So he's, he's ignorant and he's ashamed of his ignorance. And therefore he's easily manipulated mentally by others. All right. So as far as Woody Allen is concerned, Larry David, these kind of guys, um, they, they, who, they, 
who, who do people want to respect? They respect somebody that's got self-respect. If you don't have self-respect, how do you expect other people to respect you? If you don't give respect, how do you, how are you going to get respect? So it starts all with the question of self-respect. Self-respect. And you yes, need I, to I, know. Well, they made a lot of, they made a lot of money. They're very talented guys, but they've done a lot to damage Jewish boys through a long period of time now into thinking that the only Jew is a self-deprecating uh, a Jew. And it was only the Israelis when they sort of came along that gave Jewish boys the idea that you could be self-respecting, even tough, even a fighter and respect yourself. You don't have to be someone who you know, they like to step and fetch it. You may remember him of the Jewish world. Step yeah. and fetch it yeah. was a stereotype of the servile <laughs> black man. Right. And the black right. men didn't like him because he made all black men look servile, but they weren't. So it's anyway, okay. Myron, before so, we move on, you're probably anxious to get going to the rest. No, of no, 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 I'm enjoying this. You should, you should live a long, a long and healthy life. And I have the power to, to bless you today because it's my Jewish uh, uh, birthday. Uh, what? According to the it's uh, I'm 84 years of age today in both the secular calendar and in the Hebrew calendar. Isn't that something that's beautiful? Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, this is this is the greatest birthday gift of my life. Did you have any medical issues? It says you had covid twice now. Did you have any other medical issues you could ever mention here? Uh, no, I had the covid. You never uh, had a heart attack with eating pastrami? No, thank God. Eating thank God. Past- eating all the dreck. It never got you. Um, it's the roll of the dice. It's also inheritance. I understand that. I mean, yeah. I come from it's the very, roll of the dice. No, I I inherited a very short longevity, and I never thought I'd live to forty with what I had. But because of the nutrition I was on and such, you know, I've been lucky so far. But how did you? How did you? How did you overcome COVID? You just lived through it. Um. Yeah. It's again. Um. I think that the key, the key to life itself, and I, I don't know, you know, I'm just a positive guy. Uh, I get up in the morning, everything's positive. Uh, I, I put on tefillin. I, oh. I, I, I say shema. I, uh, I say hello to everybody on the street. Huh. If I pass somebody on the street, hello, how are you? Uh, the easiest thing in the world. My father, may rest in peace, used to tell me, you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. So I'm a positive guy. I like people. Mm. I want to be out there. All right. And so if, if you're down, if you're depressed, if you're, if you're um, reluctant, if you're hesitant, if you're too much involved with your own thoughts and problems, you don't get out to live life itself. Mm. I had a hell of a run. Mm. That's a beautiful beautiful step. Wait, Myron, I don't want to go over what you just said. I think it's key to what we are talking about in many ways, which is a positive attitude towards life that in itself is a form of courage, by the way. It's very hard to be positive in a world that seems to be melting down around us with this schmuck in the White House and the girls around him. I mean, the schmuck in the I never saw. Do you think he's pulling a big chin gigante faking that being senile? You think he's pulling a big chin? I think that the, the, the Democrats really didn't have anybody else to put in to run. So they told the guy, stay downstairs in the basement. All right. 
you go to the bathroom. If you forget what you're supposed to do, whether you're supposed to make number one or make number two, your wife will remind you. Oh, my All right? God. All right. So th- but they they're, but this- Myron, they're laughing at us around the world, aren't they? Or is this is this all one act? It's not them laughing around the world. We're laughing ourselves. We don't we don't need we don't need others to laugh. We're laughing ourselves. And at the same time, we're crying. Yes. Especially, especially it's a it's an, an ironic situation that we have to pray for the health of this um, <laughs> of this guy. Says, God no, I've said that before to people. Dry. I said, pray for his health, because if God forbid he should go sh- waiting in the wings is the giggler who's 10 times worse. <laughs> and, and Myron, you know why it's worse? She actually believes that left wing crap. More than him. He don't know what the hell to believe in. He never believed in a thing. Joe Biden was always the hat carrier in my mind. He was like someone subaltern. And he waited long enough that out of nowhere, they pushed him into the presidency. He don't know where the hell he is after time. Well, he, he, he ended up being uh, made candidate because of his relationship with Obama. Uh, they it, it was strictly it was a strictly you're the shadow of Obama. And so just stay downstairs in the basement, wait until the election time. You'll win the election. We've got things worked out, et cetera, et cetera. And that's how he got elected. As far as she's concerned, I don't know what the hell they had in mind when they made this woman the vice president of the United States of America. All right. It's a sad You know, what you're saying to me is what I feared all along. It's Obama pulling the strings along with some other interests. It's very much much like Arnold Rothstein fixing what the 1918, 1919 World Series. Yeah. Fixed the 19. People don't believe that the World Series could be fixed, but it was well documented. So what you're saying is you believe the last election of Democrats fixed the election. Uh, it's uh, it's it, uh, there's one third of I listen, I can tell you. All right. That today is uh, the Jewish um, the Chabad holiday of Yud Shvat. I can, that I can tell you because I know it. <laughs> okay. I can't tell you. I can't tell you with certainty whether the election was fixed or wasn't fixed. Ah. However, there's one third of the United States of America that believes that it's fixed. Yeah. That makes it. That makes it a very difficult nation to run and mm. to administrate when you have one third of the people that don't believe that the election was legitimate. Yes. Well, I have some smart members of my family who believe it was it was stolen from Donald Trump and they're not they're not conspiracy theorists at all. uh, So I'm like I'm saying, there's one third of America that believes that Mm. this election was stolen. Mm. Maybe the maybe the percentage is even higher. So Mm. I can only say I can you can believe. But the only thing that you can say conclusively is that what you've seen with your own eyes. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.